Welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day everyone and welcome to the Scale Ups Podcast where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their businesses, make bigger decisions with greater confidence and maximize the value and impact they can create in the world. I'm your host, Sean Steele, uh, and today I have with me a fantastic guest, Belinda Wall from uh, Brand Amplified. How are you today, Belinda? Yeah, really well. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. My pleasure. Nice to see you again. And um, before we kick off, I just want to acknowledge uh, our community has been wonderful in leaving some um, some ratings and some reviews and feedback. Uh, we've had some great stuff coming through. It seems about you know seventy percent of people, interestingly, use use Apple Podcasts as their platform, and another twenty odd percent use Spotify. So there you go. Spotify seems to be creeping up these days. But uh, big shout out to Mark uh, Mark for Kathos. Uh, who said um, that this podcast has a great conversational style to its interviews, uncovering what it takes to scale a business. Thank you very much, Mark. We really appreciate your feedback. Uh, if you're listening to this and you'd like to have yours read out, please jump on the platforms, leave a review. Uh, our, our team really uh, get a huge kick out of that. So thank you very much. Uh, our guest today, however, as I said, is Belinda Wall from Brand Amplified. And for those who, have, who aren't familiar with Brand um, Amplified or your background, maybe I can offer a bit of a... Um, uh, a bit of a summary, Blender, and you can correct me if I get some of that wrong. So you've been director of brand, brand Amplified for seven years now. And so that is, you know, particularly, you know, brand marketing, communications, content, activation, experience marketing. But you've been in this space like 15 years, I would say, maybe plus uh, now. Would that be right? Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. And what I really love about your background, um, I always think, you know, when you end up in a um, very consultative space, it makes a big difference what spaces, what perspectives you bring. And what I mm. notice about your background is that not only have you had executive roles, you know, leading brand and comms, you know, inside a company, then you've had a, I don't know, was it a sort of an in-house agency space for PwC where you're probably servicing PwC clients, but with an internal team. And then of course your own brand, um, brand amplified. So you bring this, um, kind of three different perspectives to what it takes to uh, what it takes to scale, but how particularly in the focus, of course, of our um, dialogue today is what do founders need to be paying attention to in this space? Because you know, in the two to twenty million dollar revenue range space, there's so much sort of ongoing discovery uh, mm -hmm. happening. You know, you're still trying to figure out, you know, what do we believe about our industry and our clients and their problems and our solutions and what our purpose is and uh, how do we bring all that together in a cohesive brand, brand story, positioning? Um, and for those founders who don't have a background in marketing, they can find this very challenging to nail. You know, they might understand it intrinsically and you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and they can talk about it and you're like, wow, that is so meaningful and heartfelt yep. and compelling. But when I look at your website and all your materials, none of that comes through. So it's kind of you know, it's fine when you're in that stage and you, all your business is coming through referral, but the moment they go, okay, I really want to put some effort into this business. I want to scale. I'm going to have to acquire new customers. And then all of a sudden that becomes a big problem, right? Um, Absolutely. New customers don't have a history. There's no referral. There's no credibility that's instant. And so you've actually got to be able to communicate um, your space. So, you know, who you are and and, uh, and why you are and, and why they should care. So I guess key focus for us today 
um, is to have founders take away, you know, three or four really practical things that they need to think about deeply from your perspective if they yep. want to scale um, in the context of their brand and their story and their positioning and their messaging. And so let's allow those uh, takeaways to fall off the back of um, some stories uh, that, you've, that you've been thinking about uh, mm-hmm. on what those three to four things are that um, founders really need to consider. What, what, what's the first thing that you think we should start with? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, even from your opening, Sean, you really, um, I guess, put, you know, hit the nail on the on the head with a couple of things. First, first and foremost, is that, um, obviously, with my background, you know, I have, have been, you know, had the fortune of coming at brand from a few different framings, um, you know, being in house as a consultant from looking from the outside in, um, you know, wearing the customer's shoes, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really, really important. Um, I think the second thing you, that you kind of pointed out, which I'm, I'm really keen to explore today, is the gap between, you know, having a great story and being clear about it in our minds as founders, uh, but then lacking that formality and following through on that and really capturing it in, you know, a distilled um, official way and and then sort of bunkering down and taking that further and operationalising that and cascading that through your organisation and really being clear on how or the role that brand is going gonna, is gonna to play for your business um, as you scale and grow from here. So, First and foremost, I think, you know, the most important thing is to, number one, get really clear on what brand actually means and Mm. avoid the first error, which is not formalising it. So brand, I think, you know, it's bandied around a lot and I think it's one of those um, terms that we're expected to be very familiar with, but in fact Mm. a lot of people actually aren't that familiar with it. Um, yeah, what does it actually mean? Exactly. A lot of a lot of people either think it they know what it means um, and it's a bit esoteric and they can't quite grasp it, so I'll park it there for a few years and it'll kind of take care of itself. Or very commonly they mistake it for their visual identity as a brand. Um, and what we talk about, you know, a lot of founders will say, yeah, yeah, I've got a brand, I've got a logo, I've got a, you know, a colour palette, I've got, um, you know, a font foundry that we've agreed on or a typography, you know, I engaged a graphic designer when I first set up the business that's, you know, in this folder and it sits there and, you know, we use the logo every day. It's great. It's a brand. That's not the brand, actually. Um, mm. Brand I mean, your identity, your visual identity is is an important part of your brand. That's one manifestation and a critical manifestation of your brand, but that is not your brand. So when we talk about brand, yeah, it, it, there's there's some really key components um, and it, it really, um, once we step through them, you'll understand that it really um, infiltrates almost every aspect of your business. So first and foremost, when we're talking about brand or, you know, I, I typically say, you know, brand articulation um, and that encompasses a few different areas. Typically, I refer to a more sort of holistic um, approach to thinking about brand from a brand articulation perspective. Um, and the core component of our brand starts with our why. Um, and Simon Sinek really 
um, you know, popularised this term through his TED talk, starting with why. Um, and that really speaks to making sure that we're clear on what is the reason that we exist. So beyond the products that we're selling or the service that we're selling, what what do you stand for? What What's the point of what you do? Um, and if we think about it from more of a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs perspective, beyond functional features and benefits for your customer, what are you enabling or what are you seeking to change or what feelings or associations or higher order need are we tapping into? So um, a lot of brands, for example, think about taking a, you know, we help do through model in, in terms of articulating their mission statement or their why. Okay. Um, so for example, if we think about Nike, one of the most um, successful brands, a lot of people would say, oh, isn't their why or their mission statement, um, just do it. It's like, no, that, that's actually a strap line. Their mission statement is, um, or their why is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. So they believe that if you have a body, you're an athlete. So mm. that actually speaks to their why. Similarly, if you look at a, a big brand or a successful brand like Atlassian, um, their mission statement or their why is from medicine to space travel to disaster response and pizza lift deliveries, our products help teams all over the planet advance humanity through the power of software. So you can see how that mm. model of we help do through. Mm -hmm. um, our mission is to help unleash the potential of every team. So it's a less of a focus on what you're selling or, you know, what you're delivering to market it's more mm. about how why why you exist so yeah. that is the crux and that is the bedrock of your brand i think one of the um, just to jump in there belinda one of the things that jumped out at me and that i certainly have um felt come through when i've read simon Sinek's, uh you know his his stuff around why is that sometimes it's easiest to start with the belief and you talked about the belief there from nike you know we believe that everyone who's got a body is an athlete uh, or can be an athlete. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the starting point. When I think, when I talk about this with my clients, that's where I really try to start because they can usually grapple around belief. Something like, why? I don't really know why, why we exist, what the purpose is. But when you go, well, what do you believe about the industry or your customers or the problems with the customers or the problems with the industry? Like, what is it problems. that you believe about right. that? Yeah. And they're Absolutely. like, well, you know, we believe that customers deserve this or that this thing in the industry sucks or that the way people do this is terrible and that we, that's something that we really want to see change. Like that's something that, you know, like something they can change, talk about that. Change and then you go, and problems. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Simon Sinek, um, sorry, not Simon Sinek, Seth Godin um, essentially says that if you're, if you're not seeking to change something, then what is the point? You know, whether that be a behaviour or a perception or a buying pattern or um, the way we exist in the world, fundamentally as a brand, you should be existing to change something. And whether that is to fix a problem or to help someone feel better or feel a different way by buying into your products or... Mm to progress in a certain area. So yeah, absolutely. I think if, if people want to go deeper on brand, Simon Sinek and, and Seth Godin are, are great sort of people to, um, to mm. sort of read up on and think about. Um, yeah. In addition to the why and the, the mission statement, the other core elements of, of brand are of course, positioning and differentiation. So being really clear on how we're going to compete with others in the market, um, why a customer is going to choose us? What is our 
our proposition. So this is a big one um, beyond, you know, what you're selling to make money. Why should people choose your brand or want to choose your brand over your competitors? Um, So for example, again, to look at some big brands and how they've gone to market in terms of their positioning and their value proposition. If we look at some, you know, like a Qantas, for example, um, they've always, um, always focused on safety, number one, you know, um, absolutely number one. And secondly, the spirit of Australia, that that's really key to their positioning and um, their values as a brand. And that's what they put first, first and foremost, um, beyond anything else. Um, brands like Bunnings, for example, community has always been huge. Price and depth um, in the, the offering is, is huge as well. Um, the Iconic, so as a retailer selling products, but their actual positioning and their value prop is actually more about service proposition. Mm. So there are, there are lots of like um, online merchants retailing, um, you know, clothing out there, but none of them have the service proposition um, and none of them went to market that early with an exceptional service proposition as quickly as they did. So mm. there's some examples of brands who are very clear at the outset on, you know, how are we going to compete um, and what's going to be our, I guess, our competitive advantage. Mm. So, yeah, I think the, the why in, um, in parallel with your differentiation and your, um, your positioning is absolutely key. Um, and I then when we're digging. And Belinda, sorry, sorry just to uh, add some thought to that and some color. When I think about when, you know, sometimes I, I work with clients who are really struggling to think about how they differentiate. They're in a pretty crowded market. Lots of people are doing, you know, relatively similar things in their product or, or service area and are really going, well, you know, one of, the, one of the problems, of course, of going and looking at the market and saying, okay, well, this is what everybody else is doing. What am mm. I going to do differently? It's a bit inside out. Um, you know, you yes. kind of, because your benchmark is stuff that already exists, what everybody else is doing today. And so whilst that's helpful, Sometimes I get my clients to think about what are the, let's, let's get a list of all the things that your customers hate about people like you and this industry. Like think about what they think about your industry. Like I hate the commercial the model. Yeah, yeah. I hate your commercial model. It doesn't align with what I really want. And I, you know, for example, yeah, I was chatting with a, a client who's an executive recruiter and we were like, well, having been a CEO and recruited lots of um, executive leaders, one of the things I always hated was that um, executive recruitment is quite expensive, but your incentive is not aligned with mine. So what's mindset? What, what do I see as success? Well, I want somebody to stick around for three to five years and, and produce, but your commercial model is right up front. It's all paid. It's basically no yep. risk to you. If the person doesn't succeed for six months, okay, maybe you're replacing them, but that's not really stacking the deck in me getting my outcome, which is three to five years of success. What could you be doing differently as a recruiter to improve all you know all of the elements of service that help that person even after they've started maybe over the course of five years to change how um how you align your commercial model i'm happy to pay you more than the average yep. recruiter over that period of time if you can prove to me that actually you can stack the deck in my favor so i think sometimes working from those real um pain points or just the, you know in the simplest words for a small business the stuff that customers hate about your competitors mm-hmm. and your model and mm-hmm. your industry and how everybody operates. Start there, look for ways yep. you can solve that in a more compelling way. And it's a, 
it sometimes makes it much easier than thinking I've got to have some amazing market analysis and I've got to figure out what absolutely everybody's doing because it's changing all the time. It's like, well, focus on the customer and how you can solve that problem differently and uniquely absolutely. and start and think, there. Yeah, that, that razor sharp understanding of the customer it mm. is really, really critical and not just in demographics, but more so psychographics, which is what you were saying, you know, what, what are those friction points? What, what are their challenges? Um, what are others not listening to and ignoring because they're either too hard um, to solve for or they're too expensive or, you know, people just haven't innovated to, to really respond to it. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that takes a little bit of some of the, um, I guess, the esotericness away mm. from brand as well because it makes it so much more tangible and yep. valuable for, brand, uh, for founders when they're thinking about brand. It's like, well... It's not just about us and a lofty promise to market. This is actually about helping customers in a meaningful way that is is really relevant to their existence and their challenge points. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, you don't always have to be an absolute, you know, game changer or a true innovator in a category to have cut through in the market. It can be as simple as, Say, for example, I think one of the most impressive brands that's come onto the market over the last five to 10 years is GoTo Skincare, um, driven by Zoe Foster Blake. And, you know, she she's an author and a writer, number one, um, but she sort of had the audacity to jump into a, a category as competitive as cosmetics um, and to, to really take it to the competition uh, including the likes of the behemoths like L'Oreal. And she knew that, okay, well, I'm not, I'm never going to have as many products and I'm never going to have um, maybe the price point, but maybe I can actually do this a little bit differently. Maybe I can inject some of my strengths, which is personality, um, copywriting, fun, quirk, wit, um, show a really sharp understanding of my customer which is speaking exactly to her sweet spot, which was, you know, Gen Zs, women who sort of, you know, are prepared to call bullshit on anything and just want, you know, some fun, great product and they don't want to feel good about their purchase and mm. so forth. So they feel heard um, mm. and they've done phenomenally well um, in terms of scaling and, and, and getting equity investment and, um, and breaking into offshore markets. So, again, another great example and you don't have to be, changing the world with a new product necessarily mm -hmm. it can be the same product um and who gives a crap did exactly the same thing with toilet paper i mean oh, we need another toilet paper brand no but um and i'll never forget a couple of years ago i had some friends over from england um and we got our delivery of who gives a crap on the front doorstep and they were just blown away by how creative um mm. obviously the, the humor was very australian so mm. for um, for a UK potential customer, that was just um, perhaps a little alarming, but they absolutely loved it. That That's what gets cut through, right? So clever, absolutely yep. makes you stops you in your tracks, and then also, oh wow! And the the extra there is it's actually sustainable, you know. But yep. people could also buy it because hey, it's fun design, and they're really funny, and it makes me feel good to spend my money with these people plus mm. they deliver it to my doorstep so i hate i hate carting toilet rolls again what does your customer hate i hate going to the supermarket and buying paper towel and toilet paper because it takes up half my boot you know yeah 
Um, so put it on people's doorsteps. Um, mm. So it's like, it's like if you don't, and if you don't have, if you can't figure out what your customers' pain points are, then you're just not having the conversation with them. Like assuming mm-hmm. that you've got some customers already and we're not in kind of, you know, pre-seed market research stage and most of the people in this community are, you know, 2 mil to 20 mil, they've got a business, they've got customers, they've got people they can speak to. The question is, well, how often are you actually just having a conversation with your customers about yeah. their perspectives on your industry, their perspectives on your competitors, the problems they're trying to solve using your product or service, what happens before that, what happens after that, how it impacts them personally, how it makes them feel, what, you know, what sort of... Until you have those conversations, it's really difficult to do anything but look at the market and see if you can find a bit of white space and be creative. It's like the customer's the one who have to pay you. So get involved in the conversations. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And again, it's about doing the work, isn't it? It's about saying, okay, well, let's, we might not have the funds or the time to, um, you know, fork out for a big um, customer research investment, but hey, we've actually got a database of 5,000 of our own customers. So let's reach out to them and actually yeah. ask how we're doing or, you know, what's happening in your life and what, what, do you, what really annoys you right now and totally. et, cetera, et cetera. And then, yes, you've got a whole, you know, library of really powerful insights, but you can remarket those insights in, in some really clever and creative ways by saying, you know, hey, we listened to or we asked, you know, um, women aged 40 to 50, um, what really bugs them about buying cosmetics from the supermarket. Mm. Um, and we responded in this way. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of value there to doing the work. Um, Make the, make the strategic exercise a week long thing, like carve out a week, do nothing else, but have, you know, have them all lined up, you know, pack them all together in a week and have the same conversation like you'll tweak and iterate the conversation and the questions and so on have the same conversation over and over with as many customers you can so that at the end of that you're like wow that was a massive you know you'll see the patterns very quickly you'll see where things are the same you'll see where there are different Uh, and one thing i would say to founders listening is the other reason you do this and you don't spend all of your time worrying about the competitors is you can't compete on everything so you know the worst thing you can do is try to match all your competitors for features of their product or service, you know, to get to hundred percent of what they have, plus then outperform on a couple, you actually have to say no to things. Otherwise you're going to go broke. You can't compete on all those things. And actually the strongest brands go, okay, there's seven, you know, typical features of this product or service. And we're actually going to choose not to compete at all on three or four of them, but we are going to create some new ones or really double down on a couple so that because in the absence of doing that and the absence of the ability to channel your money and effort and resources towards some things that you think customers really care about and will make a real difference to their lives and their experience of your product or service you don't ever get true differentiation you don't ever get enough traction skill expertise depth for it to really become a competitive advantage because you just cannot compete on all of them especially if you're comparing yourself to bigger players who've got deeper pockets you know deeper pockets you've got to go narrower deeper yep. and develop something that becomes a competitive advantage yeah there's a saying there's a great brand saying um the sharper your focus the broader the appeal and yep. it takes a lot of discipline and, and this is actually my, my second point around branding, which is, are you all set to honor that brand and treat it as your single source of truth? Because mm-hmm. 
you know, the rubber hits the road when, you know, you've had, you may have had this great um, brand articulation session and you've formalized it and so forth. But unless you are prepared to make sure that you've got proper alignment across all key stakeholders in the organization, and that really should have happened in, you know, the stages when you were bringing it together. Um, but unless you have, you know, socialized that brand work, but also you're prepared to agree all key stakeholders that you're going to call each other out if you are now off brand. Mm. So, um, you know, has, has everyone been familiarized on the purpose and value of the brand and the role that it's going to play now? Um, I think is a, is a really key one. Um, are we, yeah, are we prepared to call each other out when we're off track? So is to use that as a, you know, a North star to say, we're going to say no on this. We're going to say no on that opportunity or 100%, someone yeah. from product development's come up with this great idea and, you know, we're entrepreneurs. So we get excited about anything that looks like a potential opportunity, but that doesn't actually sit with our, our brand. You know, that, that doesn't make sense for a customer that we have told, you know, that we exist to, I don't know, multiply your human performance to use a two times you example from a sports brand I used to work with. But, you know, if we're going to go to market now and, um, you know, produce a product that is perhaps speaking more closely to a yummy mummy customer, it starts to get very diluted and confused. And so I think the important second part there is make sure that, you know, you, you are all prepared to start honouring that brand work um, and it's really going to serve as your guiding light or, the, or your North Star. Um, and that, so that just can to, be hard sometimes. Just to summarise where we're at, so if we think kind of point one is, you got to get clear on your why and you know what you believe and why you yep. exist and so on. Second, we're thinking about positioning, particularly in the ter- in the context in the context of differentiation. Like, you know, why should they? Okay, let's assume they've bought in. That sounds like an interesting vision. We've got a new customer on the end of the line. Second is well, how are we different to anybody else? So that whole differentiation piece and what makes us um, unique mm. and how we're solving that problem differently. Third is. Okay, now that we've understood that, what does it mean for our organization in terms of what's in or mm-hmm. what's out? What, how does it impact our decisions? How does it impact what we're going to invest money in, what we're going to say no to? And you know, the ability to take the opportunity to workshop that with your team to yep. make sure that actually you've road tested a whole bunch of those things. Because as you said, they're going to come up on a constant basis and you've got to have some parameters that allow you to go, those things are in, those things are out, you know, the, yep. those kinds of things. Um, yeah. What comes, uh, conscious of how much time we've got left, Belinda, what, what comes next for you? So let's assume now so, we've got clear why, we've got clear, yep. you know, positioning and differentiation. We've now got alignment inside the organization. We know what's sort of on and off brand. What's next? Yep. So I guess further to that or to build on that, that third point is how are we going to prove our brand true? Um, and so that's all about saying, okay, what are going to be our repeated acts or our proof points to go, okay, there is clear alignment and consistency between what we're saying and what we're actually doing. So it's about operationalizing the brand. What's an example of that, Um, that people will be able to get their heads around? Yeah. So for example, yes, a lot of people, again, um, a little bit of a misnomer is to say brands great, understand it. Um, it's owned by marketing communications. So that's where it's going to live. Um, and that's who's responsible for it. And everyone else can kind of carry on. 
but it doesn't actually it extends far beyond that so it's about things like okay have we fed brand into our induction or third-party engagement familiarization processes um you know have we um you know built it in as a critical steer for things like um you know product development and diversification our culture and culture is becoming increasingly increasingly important i'll give some examples of that um things like recruitment and retention policies our code of conduct our um, esg statements our customer policy or terms of trade um, you know, how is it going to guide M&As or, you know, business or other broader opportunities that come to us in terms of or along our journey to grow? So if we go back to the Atlassian example about the why and how might they start to use that to pressure test, um, you know, they might say, OK, well, does this or will this or could this? And it might be a new product or a service or sponsorship or a hire or an acquisition, does this actually help teams all over the planet to advance humanity or help to unleash the potential of every team? So does it actually speak back to our brand and our mission? Um, so for example, LinkedIn's mission statement is to make the world's professionals more productive and successful. So mm. is this software update or is this additional feature going to actually help users be that, more productive yeah. or successful or is it kind of just another gadget and nice to have or just something that you know john came start, up with on could, a saturday afternoon. yeah exactly yeah. It, it could be something that starts to as an example of what might be out okay well given that sort of brand direction something that starts to turn a bit more into a facebook or an instagram where people are sort of scrolling mindlessly as opposed to it making yep. them more productive or more efficient yep. or more successful it's like might be nice but all of a sudden it actually doesn't really matter because it's not going to deliver on that okay that's it and another great example i think is of a of a fail in this area is um is the old uh blockbuster netflix fail so Blockbuster had the opportunity um, a couple of eons ago, it feels like eons, to acquire a little company called Netflix. Um, and they decided, no, they wouldn't do that because they were actually in the business of selling DVDs. What they didn't realise is they were in the business of selling entertainment experiences into the family home. So they actually mistook what they did or the products that they sold for why they exist. So mm. if, again, it's to go back to that, um, you know, the sharper your focus, the broader your appeal, even though sometimes brand or a mission statement might feel like, oh, isn't this a bit sort of either lofty, lofty. or really, really niche? Like, is this too niche? Is this too focused? It actually helps to open your mind to opportunities that you might not see are actually feeding into your you know your mission or why you mm. exist so True. um you know the netflix blockbuster example is a is a really good one i think um you know your what as i said or your strategy and your go-to-market approach they will all change over time um but your why should essentially remain constant should be um, yeah yeah so and i mentioned um before you know how how does brand what sort of role does brand play in something like culture um and there's been some examples where of, of big fails on that path um 
so for example, away luggage, I'm not sure if you're familiar with away luggage, Sean, but there are, no. um, you know, very, very popular, um, luggage label based out of the States and they scaled very, very quickly. Um, they sold a vision of travel and inclusion, but former employees came out, um, and it went viral. Um, which is always going to be the case now, you know, especially if you, you retail in particular employs a lot of Gen Zs, they live on social media. We live in a culture where cancel culture exists um, and transparency is, you know, the absolute expectation. Um, it's not the mm. exception. Um, so former employees came out and said that it, it actually masked a toxic work environment. It went viral across the internet. Um, and the cutthroat culture essentially allowed the company to grow at hyperspeed and develop a cult following with celebrities and millennials, but it also opened a, a yawning gap between how Away appeared to its customers and what actually looked like on the inside. Um, mm. You know, Amazon got called out for that um, or has been called yeah. out for that several times as well. And that can have really damaging effects to your brand. Um, if, you, if you're a listed business, it can affect your you know, share prices, um, your customers, especially young customers, they'll move, you know, drop of a hat. All it takes is to read one article and they're like, I'm never touching that brand again. I'm off, you know, I'm not following you. I'm not buying a product yeah. um, on, on to the next thing. So, yeah, I think some, you know, really powerful examples of it done well and done poorly um, is that brand goes way beyond marketing of comms. Um, mm. You know, it should feed into culture. Um, you know, I think if you're developing brand values these days, they should be what what is termed or, you know, um, often what we would call values with teeth, which means they must be true for you internally and externally. So um, yeah. that means that they should be relevant and engaging and reflective of your employees, but also relevant and appealing to your customers and prospects too. Mm. Um, yep. You can't have two are, different sets, you know, a set for your team no. and a set for customers. It doesn't work. No, absolutely. B Belinda, you know, they um, should be ones you proudly put on the wall. Yeah, I'm, I'm conscious of how much time we've got um, left and I really want to make sure we get all of your key points out. Um, there was Is there a fourth one that you were thinking about um, there as is, something that you really want founders to, to focus on? Yeah, I think, you know, further to um, the final point around how founders, um, you know, what role they're going to actually play and what their personal brand, um, the role their personal brand is going to play in their growth story is um, this idea around parallel brands um, is they're becoming more and more uh, commonplace, um, but more and more powerful. And, and that's in parallel with, again, this era of transparency that we're living in, you know, consumers and customers want to know, you know, what they're buying into, who, who is behind the brand, why they set up the brand and the story and, um, you know, why they exist. So again, you know, I guess it just serves to illustrate that this whole idea of brand and the why is, is not an esoteric one, Sean. It's very much being valued more and more by customers as well. Um, there's a kind of a forensic level of detail there. So this, um, 
I work with uh, founders and entrepreneurs quite um, quite regularly around personal brand strategies and and what role their brands are going to play in their growth story and how they can serve to add further equity to their brand as well. Um, and it opens up a whole raft of additional opportunities. Um, I was working. Um, or interviewing a founder the other day from a fantastic uh, uh, medi-tech company um, that's scaling really quickly. And she came from a background originally in research and um, medical research. And she made a remark about the fact that, um, you know, throughout her career, she's needed to invest in communication and public speaking um, as part of her medical research because she had to go to a lot of, um, you know, obviously conferences and, and present papers and so forth. But at her new startup, um, MediStays, this has taken on an even greater dimension because rather than talking about the actual work that she's doing, um, as a founder, she's asked more and more to share about herself as a mm -hmm. person, um, as opposed to actually share about your products or what you're selling or, you know, the reason that exists. So it's really interesting if we look at, um, again, some of the most successful and prominent brands in the world right now, you know, the likes of your Teslas or uh, Virgin um, or Boost Juice or Go To Skincare. Mm -hmm. we're, we're very, very familiar with the founders. We know, we know Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Janine Ellis is everywhere, um, Zoe Foster Blake. Um, is you know, countless examples. At, you know, Atlassian, we know about Mike Cannon Brooks and mm -hmm. Scott Farquhar, et cetera. Um, you know, this week he's making a, a bid to transform the energy sector, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and again, you can see that that equity has been immediately transferable for him into other areas. Because um, if he he just flew under the radar with Atlassian, it he he wouldn't have been able to draw on his personal brand True. really to muscle in and to sort of take that opportunity in the way that he is down now um you know and if we compare the era that we're living in now which is all about transparency if we think back to some of the bygone brands or the bygone era you know like your kleenex um do you know who founded kleenex sean you know um, or um coca-cola amatil or you know mm. going back to the good old days of anset i i, I couldn't tell you you know who the founder of anset was but we're all very familiar with Alan Joyce now, aren't we? You know, mm. um, he was in our worlds and giving us updates as, as frequently as Scott Morrison over the pandemic. Um, and similarly, we were getting emails weekly from Stephen Kane, the coal CEO, um, about, you know, what, what we can expect from, um, you know, their service proposition and the supply of products and so forth. So, it wasn't just coming from head of marketing or comms, it was coming directly from the CEO and so forth. Mm. So I think the the takeaway there for founders is that we're living in an era where people want to connect with people. Yeah. And people trust brands that they can see a human behind. And they want to know a human, you know, they want to be able to access and consume a human story as well. Mm. So you've got to think about how especially for businesses and, and um, companies that by nature perhaps have a less human element to them, you know, oh, we're a B2B, it's really quite irrelevant for us or, um, you know, 
I think you've got to really think about the opportunity and, you know, how could, yeah, how could this become an opportunity for us? If, if I was going to speak at certain, you know, conferences or events or think about getting some PR about the growth trajectory that we're on or, you know, how is this going to help us land some more, you know, suppliers or what have you, um, or engage and connect with our customers more deeply, there's, there's some incredible value there. Um, but again, it has to be done with consideration um, and done strategically because it absolutely your values and your kind of go to market as a, a founder has to align and complement that of your master brand. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, yeah, there's plenty of examples of where that hasn't, uh, where that where that hasn't done anyone any favors, where you know the the founder's life is unraveling and you know mm-hmm, pretty unhealthy, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that's flowing through to the to the corporate brand, um, you know, things like Crown, and yeah, you know, I'm sure there's many uh, many examples where we we see a founder and we see oh the there brand are risks and they're, they're, absolutely yeah, lots of risks. Yeah. But to you, I think it loops back nicely to your first point, which was around why, and quite often mm-hmm. that. Um, particularly in that earlier stage is quite often a strong link between the founder and their background and their story and how they uncovered a problem or something disruptive that they wanted to work on or solve in an industry and then what the the purpose of the brand ends up becoming Um, and lots of founders of course go yeah but I also want to be able to sell at some point or exit Mm -hmm. at some point so I don't want to be so tightly linked that the business is me but uh, to your point it's about finding a way for the, if there's going to be a founder brand that sort of sits along beside that, that they're complementary, and yep. um, but the business has its own heart and reason for being. That's not that is mm-hmm. not the founder. Um, yes, but it can and certainly it's not it's not unreasonable for it to have come from there or the genesis for it to uh, to have come from there. Yeah, absolutely. Belinda, I'm uh, really grateful of your uh, time today. You know, brand and, and positioning and story and messaging is so important in these um, in these businesses, and it's it's it can be a very daunting area. If you were going to just summarise, I know we've covered a fair bit of ground, but could you just re-summarise for us what those kind of those four key points, the four things that you really want founders to to think about practically as they take away from um, today's uh, sort of instructive. Uh, tutorial on brand and, and positioning. What what are those four things? Yeah. Okay. So uh, number one, get really clear on what brand means, um, and let, avoid error by formalising yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is ensuring, or the question is, is your team and organisation mobilised and ready to start honouring your brand and treating it as your single source of truth? Yep. So really being honest about that um, and making sure that it, you know, you're all, all good to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, The third one is how will we prove our brand true? Mm -hmm. So we talked about things like campaigning it, but also operationalizing it across things like product development, culture, um, you know, reviewing M&A opportunities, product diversification, et cetera, et cetera. Is it being lived? Is there alignment between what we are saying and what we are doing mm-hmm. at every level across the organization. And yeah. then finally for founders, how will your story or your narrative personal brand fit into your broader marketing mix? Um, if at all, so yeah. being, being, being really clear about, okay, what opportunities come with that? 
Um, if we're going to venture down that path, when will that be? Um, and you know, if my goal is to exit at some point, you probably have to think about that too. So you're right, Sean, you, mm. you pointed out that, you know, there comes with, it also comes with certain risks, but they can be managed and managed well. But I think we're operating in a day and age where the opportunities and the benefits far outweigh those risks right now. So mm-hmm. you just don't want to close yourself off from those. So it's something to think about. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate your, uh, your time today. I think those are um, some fantastic takeaways for our founders. It's never an easy uh, task. It's not something usually that you solve um, overnight but it matters. It really matters. And it matters particularly in a crowded marketplace where you've got lots of competitors. If you're not the first person to have invented some kind of widget and you're going up against many, many other people, well, Brandon's story and positioning, they matter so much because that's, especially again, if you're moving out of a model where perhaps all the businesses come to you through personal reputation or reputation of your team and, and so on. And you're going, actually, we want to we need to grow and accelerate. We're going to inject capital. We're going to, you know, build ourselves a marketing strength. We're going to acquire new customers as a really, you know, as a big focus so that we can expand our impact. Well, this stuff is absolutely core and central. Don't spend lots of money hiring salespeople and hiring, mm-hmm. you know, marketing um, activators until you've actually done this work is, would be my um, suggestion because you're going to blow a lot of money uh, if you're not getting cut through. So take the time, put the focus in. Um, thank you so much, Belinda. How can people get in touch with you or, or sort of follow along with, um, with what you're doing? Yeah, look, the best way to reach me is probably on LinkedIn, actually. So mm-hmm. hit me up, Belinda Wall, Brand Amplified. Um, you'll find me. Um, don't be afraid to connect. Um, love to, to do so. So um, look forward to hearing from your community, John. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Belinda. Uh, folks, I really hope you've enjoyed the show today. Big thanks to Belinda Wall from uh, from Brand Amplified and a couple of things before you go. If you found that valuable today, of course, please feel free to leave your feedback or if you think there's something that we could, if there's another you know sort of part of this topic or segment you'd like to hear more about, please let us know. Uh, you can send us an email at questions at scaleupspodcast.com or just jump on the website. If you want to um, drop your email there, we'll let you know when new, uh, new episodes are about to drop. And of course, we always value reviews on, um, on Apple Podcasts ideally. Uh, or you can find us on the socials at Scalots Podcast on any of your favorite socials. And just remember, um, as a parting thought for you today, the only thing that's going to guarantee that you won't scale, even if you're finding, a, you're finding your way through brand and you're finding it difficult and tricky, you just can't give up. You have to stay unshakable in your faith that you're going to get there. You have to remain reflexible in your approach and you just got to keep working on it. So don't give up. You've been listening to the Scalots Podcast. I am Sean Steele and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thank you so much, Belinda. G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week.